Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Soto Mojo Podcast. This is your site uh, co-expert Colby Patnode. I'm joined as always by site co-expert Ty Gonzalez. And we are here today to talk a little bit about Mariners baseball. So Ty, how are you feeling today? Good, good. Better better than usual. The offseason's underway. We're getting to talk more about the future of the Mariners. And um, I think we kind of have an idea of which route they're going to go. So that makes things a little easier on us. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we're about, I don't know, roughly a month away from uh, free agency starting. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm ready to get going. Awesome, awesome. So uh, anyways, just about 20 minutes ago, the uh, MLB uh, trade rumors uh, released their arbitration estimates. Um, it is worth noting that these are just estimates, but major, but MLB trade rumor usually does a really good job with these. They get in the ballpark. And uh, the Mariners have nine players up for arbitration. Uh, the nine players are James Paxton, Alex Colomay, Erasmo Ramirez, Mike Zanino, Nick Vincent, and then Justin Grimm, Chris Herman, Ryan Cook, and Rowanis Elias. So, uh, Ty, what are your thoughts on the initial list, and do you see any potential uh, non-tender candidates here? Um, so, just looking at the numbers, all of them seem fine. Um, that's not really out of uh, the Mariners' range and won't really uh, mess anything up with their plans for payroll this year. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, as for non-tender candidates, Nick Vincent is clearly one of them. Um, Vincent, throughout the season, just slowly wasn't used as much. Um, yeah, I just I don't know if it, if he has a future with the Mariners, uh, especially at three and a half million. I just don't know if they'll, they'll be willing to pay that. Um, Erasmo Ramirez could be another one, um, though they may have plans for him in a long relief role or you know allow him to compete for a spot in the rotation. Um, the others, you know, maybe Justin Graham or Ryan Cook. They they'll just non tender. Um, Grimm didn't really pitch much. Um, Cook didn't either. Uh, Chris Herman could be maybe another one, um, but I think they'll keep him around at least to compete in the spring training plus for one and a half million. That's not terrible. Uh, but yeah, so the, you know, Paxton and, and Colome, they're going up by a couple million. That's fine. Um, Zanino is going up about one million. Um, it makes sense. Um, uh, like you said, they, they do a really good job with this every year, um, so they're pretty much spot on with everything. So I think this is a pretty good uh, benchmark to set for these players. And, uh, yeah, nothing really strikes me in a, in a negative sense. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I know Nick Vincent gets crapped on quite a bit, um, and it's because he's so utterly boring. Like, he's just there you know yeah but uh you know at the end of the year you look at his numbers this year he had a 3.75 FIP he had a 1.15 whip uh 8.9 Ks per nine I mean he only walked 2.4 guys per nine I he, he 56 innings I mean the guy's fine like he's a nice middle relief pitcher yeah. um so I don't have a problem with him being a mariner at all I've been a Nick Vincent Vincent supporter 
uh, over the last couple of years. I know that just because he's prone to give up, you know, home runs on occasion, it's like, well, he only throws 88 miles an hour. I mean, that's going to happen. But uh, like you said, at 3.5 million, I mean, the Mariners are loaded in their farm system with guys who can do Nick Vincent's job for the league minimum. Um, and so, you know, it's just unfortunate place to be for Nick. Um, cause he's a really solid, uh, reliever. And I think that, uh, he has value to the Mariners. Um, you know, it's one of Jerry DePoto's better trades, um, in his tenure, but at 3.5 million, I just, I think you trade him or you non-tender him and then you try to get him back for less. Um, it's not that he's not worth 3.5 million. It's just that the Mariners have enough guys who can do his job and for, you know, 500,000. So that $3 million can come in handy, uh, for other things. Um, as for Erasmo Ramirez, I really have no interest in bringing him back at that price, like at all. Um, there's a lot better things you can spend $4 million on. Um, and Erasmo just hasn't been, he wasn't reliable last year. Um, you know, he's never really, aside from a nice two-month stretch last season, he's never really shown that he's, uh, you know, worthy of much, like, roster guarantee. That makes it like, yeah. I mean, he just, to me, he's replaceable. And at $4 million, I would rather give the ball to Rowanis Elias and try to find some upside with him as a starter. I would rather go get, for $4 million, I can go get a nice backup catcher. I'd rather have that than Erasmo Ramirez. So for me, those two guys, if you non-tender both of them or you don't trade them, you save $8 million, um, which basically pays for the raises that everybody else is going to get. Um, yeah. It covers Paxton and Colomay and Zanino, basically. Um so, yeah, I, I, I think those two are in real danger. Um, like I, said, I don't see – Justin Grimm is, and Ryan Cook are probably going to get non-tendered and then offered a minor league deal to come back. Um, we'll see if they take it, but they're not worth, you know, a million bucks each. There's no way you're paying that. Um, Elias, you're going to pay. It's only a million bucks. You can handle that. And whether you want a long guy or you want a fifth starter, Elias is a better option than Erasmo and cheaper too. And then, yeah, like you said, we'll see on Chris Herman. I I don't think it's an outrageous number, but I do think it's something that they can negotiate lower, um, if that makes sense. So, sure. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting arbitrage. Like nothing too crazy for the Mariners. Um, believe me, there are some uh, very interesting cases when you study this list. Um, for example, the Oakland A's are going to have to pay Chris Davis $18 million this year. <laughs> I don't think they're going to pay Chris Davis $18 million. So is he getting traded or, I mean, Mike Fires is scheduled to make $10 million next year. There's no way they're paying Mike Fires $10 million, So he's probably getting traded or non-tender. Like there's a lot of, uh, it's a fun list to go through. Um, and it also, uh, you know, selfishly for us, it uh, makes it easier to go out and identify trade candidates. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So, just talking about the A's real quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I just, I don't see how they can pay Chris Davis. Um, he's, 
he made ten and a half this year. So it's about an eight million upswing. They will be getting uh Luke Roy's six and a half million off of the books. Um so maybe that kinda helps. Uh yeah, they got fifteen guys up for pay raises this year. Yeah. So I just yeah, I don't know. Uh yeah, they're getting Lowry's numbers off of the books. They're getting Joyce off of the books. Luke Roy, Familia. I just I don't know. It's uh they probably can keep Chris Davis at $18 million. It's just that might be all they can do, you know, in free agency. Yeah. I mean, and uh, they can trade. I mean, the A's are definitely capable of making trades, and there are more than a few guys here that are non-tender candidates. But, you know, it is interesting to see if the Oakland A's want to, you know, pony up $18 million to Chris Davis when they haven't been willing to do it to anybody, including guys like Josh Donaldson. So, I mean. Yeah. Especially like, especially like they'll want to keep, you know, Simeon and Trinan and Mania. They're all getting raises. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what their strategy is going into free agency. Um, Clearly, they they probably feel that they're a team on the rise, but they just don't have the payroll to keep, you know, uh, yeah, some of these limited. players that are going to blossom. You know, what what are they going to do when uh, Matt Chapman, you know, continues, you know, his deals continue to grow? Um, yep. Yeah, they got to think about that, and so we'll see. Um, I think right now, I think they will be able to keep Chris Davis, but like you said, I just don't know if they can do anything else. And uh, I thought it was always <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny how like around the trade deadline, everyone kept on saying that, or I kept on seeing tweets about, oh they could get Bryce Harper this offseason. It's like that's no Bryce Harper's probably going to make how much payroll they actually have. Yeah, it's, I mean the Oakland A's are not signing anybody um, of major significance, at least not in terms of, like, name value. So, yeah, you can forget that. But uh, Davis is an interesting one. Um, and that might not be the worst idea in the world to trade him. I mean. Yeah. There's a lot of value on him right now. Um, he had a really good year in terms of just getting on base and just hitting. That's been one of his problems where he's just kind of that low average home run guy, high home run guy. And this year he was more of a balanced hitter, so I think that will uh, boost his value quite a bit. My favorite Chris Davis stat, by the way, though, is that for the four consecutive years, he has ended the season with a batting average of two forty seven. <laughs> four straight years with the exact same batting average. That's yeah. very Nori Aoki-like. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, I mean, like you said, the on-base is around three thirty. Like, that's what it's going to be now. That's solid. That's above average. And then, obviously, you know about the home runs and the slugging. I mean, yeah, Chris Davis is a nice player. Um, he could probably get the A something pretty good. It's just something that's going to be help him more than – something that's going to help them more than paying Chris Davis the $18 million. Uh, I don't know. Um, but we'll wait and see. I think that's an interesting one. Um We'll see what the A's decide to do there. Um, but, yeah, that was just one of the names that jumped off the list to me. So yeah. um, I would I would suspect that we'll have some content up uh, relatively soon.
focused around the arbitration figures, um, maybe some non-tender guys and players like that. So, so anyways, uh, I think we're just going to go ahead and jump over to, uh, well, to be honest with you guys, there's really not a ton to talk about, uh, Mariner wise. There's just not a lot of news. Um, and there probably won't be for another month or so. So it's not like there's a ton that we can talk about. Um, but there is a lot that we can speculate about. And Ty, you recently wrote an article um, about the uh, five about five underrated uh, signing possibilities for the Mariners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, why don't you go ahead and give us the names on that list and then tell us who your favorite one is. Okay, so um, I had uh, Padres catcher A.J. Ellis. Um, had a pretty decent year, uh, 37 years old. Um, kind of got back on the horse offensively. He's a decent, solid you know, backup catcher type. Um, I had Lonnie Chislinghall, the often injured um, but really good when he's on the field, uh, outfielder for the Indians. Um, Evan Gaddis, who's had a, uh, down year at the plate, but as a potential Nelson Cruz replacement, if, uh, Cruz departs, um, Garrett Richards, uh, the, who, uh, just went under, uh, Tommy John surgery, uh, for the angels, uh, probably won't pitch, uh, this upcoming season. Um, but you know, you could get his rights for this season and move on to 2020 with him. Uh, and uh, Daniel Descalso, who uh, had a pretty decent year as uh, the utility uh, infielder for the Diamondbacks. You know, that utility infield has been one of my biggest gripes with the 2018 Mariners. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so uh, just looking at that. Uh, favorite one, uh, I really like the Garrett Richards idea. Um I think uh, signing him to a two-year deal to uh, get full access to him through the 2019 season uh, in uh, in his rehab and maybe keep the uh, door open on a potential earlier uh, return uh, sometime in late 2019, um, that would be nice. Uh, and then uh, to maintain his rights into uh, 2020 when he's expected to return. Uh, there's a lot of upside there. Um, he's been able to return from Tommy John before uh, successfully. His velocity is still the same, which is uh, not something that um, you usually uh, see with uh, pitchers returning from Tommy John. Uh, he's also recovered from a patella tendon um, injury that uh, if you're a Seahawks fan, you'll, you'll know that Jimmy Graham and Will Disley have uh, – dealt with. So, uh, yeah, um, both of those injuries, he's, he's been able to recover from fine. Uh, if anything, his, uh, velocity has gone up and, uh, you know, just for the possibility of that alone, I think the Mariners should, uh, should definitely jump all over that. Um, a deal, uh, like I said, a two-year deal, uh, probably in the same vein as uh, the um, Drew Smiley deal that the Cubs had last uh, last off season. Sure. Um, yeah, that would. Uh, I think that's a pretty nice uh, under the radar signing that um, probably won't pay dividends in 2019, but uh, to have that option in 2020 
to get a um, quality starter um, as a potential bounce back candidate for probably only four million, if that, mm-hmm. over the you know over the next few years. So yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty decent option for them. Yeah, you know we talked a little bit last week about how. Maybe the Mariners aren't really eyeing 2019 as their year. Uh, maybe it's 2020. And if that's the case, a guy like Garrett Richards makes a lot of sense. Um, he misses bats. He gets ground balls. Um, you know, he's he's a good pitcher. It's just a matter of can he stay on the mound long enough to help you. And that's a major question mark. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, if you can get a, you know, a two-year deal. I think Drew Smiley's deal was two years uh 10 million dollars or something like that uh if you can get that type of deal you do it because garrett richards is better than drew smiley um and yeah you know you have to sit on it and you know that he's not going to help you in 2019 or you at least have to expect that he's not going to help you in 2019 yeah um but in 2020 like if you really think you're going to go for it in 2020 then you're getting a a really good pick. If Garrett Richards was healthy and on the market, he's making $20 million this year. Yeah. Like easy. So yeah, that's what I said in the article was, you know, he went from top free agent target to potentially not finding a team. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, and for those that may be worried about, uh, paying, you know, four to $5 million this year to someone that's not going to play, um, you know, you can always backload it. Um, yeah. just give him a couple million to just give him, uh, to give you his rights. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, basically, cause that's what it is. You, it's basically in the same vein as, uh, you know, in the NBA draft when a player, you know, player gets drafted from, uh, an international, uh, you know, part of the world. Uh, you know, you're drafting his rights, you know, you have his rights mm-hmm. and, that would be the same thing that you would be doing with Garrett Richards is just paying money to um, have him for 2020. And that's fine. Uh, that's that's a very um, forward-thinking uh, idea. Uh, Jerry DePoto is a very forward-thinking uh, type of general manager. Um, he always mentions having that uh, mindset when uh, making any acquisition. And I think uh, Garrett Richards someone who he's familiar with mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is definitely going to be on his uh, his list on his radar um, yeah yeah I would agree with that the uh, the name on the list that jumped out to me was actually Lonnie Chisenhall yeah um, the guy's like a secret like masher like this dude yeah. hits yeah and uh, you know over his last three years, uh, granted, he hasn't played a lot. <laughs> uh, just uh, 237 games over the last three years. But when he plays, you know, a 291, 347, 468 slash. Um, he's got power. He takes walks. Um, you know, it's a lot of doubles power, but he does have over-the-fence power. He's probably 15 to 20 home run guy um, over the course of a full year. Uh, probably 30 to 35 doubles. Like you said, he's going to walk. Um, strikeout uh, rate is fine. I mean, there's no major red flag there. Uh, like I said, the guy just hits, and injuries have been a problem with him. Um, the Mariners may have a DH spot available. 
um, depending on whether or not they sign Nelson Cruz. This is a guy that you're going to get for, what, $5 million maybe? Yeah, like, maybe like, even less considering yeah. the injury history. Yeah, and he's not just a DH. I mean, he's not a great defender, but he can't. But he does have a uh, he does have experience playing all three outfield spots. He's played a little first base. Um, he even played. played third. Yeah, he played third for. He came up as a third baseman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so he's kind of a utility type. Um, but not really because he doesn't play shortstop. But if you have D. Gordon, you don't really need the backup shortstop. Yada, but he yada, can yada. play first and third in a pinch. Um, yeah, and yeah. he has experience in all three outfield spots. It's just a way to have a good hitter inserted into your DH spot without him having to be the DH on a day-in, day-out basis. Because um, what, yeah. what I look at now, like mm-hmm. for this team to construct their roster, I look at expect the unexpected and you know they were going into a big series with the Astros uh back in August and Kyle Seager had to leave you know on uh, for the uh for the birth of his child right and then they had to start Zach Vinci and Andrew Romine and Mm -hmm. you know if you can have players that you know maybe they're not fantastic defensively but they won't kill you you know, like Lonnie Chisholm with the injuries and stuff and the age, he's probably not going to be a, a good third baseman, but I highly doubt he'll be abysmal. Um, and he could probably play a couple games for you there in a pinch if Seeger has, you know, goes down or has to leave for some reason. Um, just, you know, those type of situations. Just be prepared because, you know, we found out with every year that the, uh, I almost said the Seahawks, the uh, the Mariners have been in contention. Um, every game has mattered, mm-hmm. uh, and you know I'm not one to get wrapped up in you know the power of like a game in mid-April or anything like that. But when it comes down to those divisional series late in the season, you know you got to get those games while you can. And that was a series you know in which uh, Springer wasn't playing, Altuve wasn't playing, I think Correa wasn't playing either. Um, you know, and they still lost two out of three. And I think a, a part of that was because they didn't have Kyle Seeger. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, Lonnie Chisholm Hall is that type of guy that, you know, gives you some sort of flexibility where you don't have to dig in the depths of your, uh, of your roster or even your organization to fill certain holes. Um, you know, uh, uh you know, I just, yeah, I I I see Chisholm Hall as kind of like that fourth outfielder um, that can just fill in elsewhere, and he, you know, like you said, he has shown the ability to be one of the Indians' best hitters in the past, um, and not really get much recognition for it. Um, and plus, like I like I mentioned in the article, you know, they got Melky Cabrera going. In free agency, they got Michael Brantley going in free agency. They're not going to keep all these guys. I think Chisholm Hall's probably not going to return. He's been with the Indians for for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know some fans are uh, fed up with his uh, injury history, um, despite how good he's been. You know, I just I don't know. If, I don't think he'll be back. So I think that's a legitimate possibility for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he he's a floor raiser. Um, 
you know, he's he's not going to push the Mariners' ceiling uh, too hard, but uh, he definitely raises the floor. If nothing else, you have a really good left-handed bat off the bench, and there were times this year where the Mariners' best pinch-hitting option was legitimately Chris Herman. Or Ben right. Gamble. Yeah, and, you know, and Ben Gamble's fine, but uh, Chisholm's the guy who can come off the bench and hit the home run for you. I mean, like, the power is there. He's going to get extra base hits. Ben Gamble, probably not. I just, you know, it's just one of those things. It's may only add another win to your total, but if you can add a win for one, two, three million dollars, it's absolutely worth it. I mean, wins are hard to come by, and if you're the Mariners and you need everything to go right, you need to have the highest floor in the league or one of them. Um, And, you know, like you said, there's just not enough in the minor league system where Seager goes down. You're just like, oh, okay, nope, we'll just call up this guy. You don't have that guy, so go pay for that guy. So, yeah, that's why Lonnie Chisenhall was the name that I was was most interested in. The one I'd be most excited about, though, would be Garrett Richards. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's a a good read. Uh, I'll leave a link in the description. Uh, down below, so uh, make sure you guys check that out. Um, so yeah, uh, and I guess uh, two more uh, two more items on the agenda. Uh, Ty, I don't know about you, but I have been continually digging deeper and deeper into this free agent pool, into some trade candidates, and I continue to add guys to my list. Um, right now, I have a list of sixty-two names. Yes. Uh, yeah, and some of them are uh, are like there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah, uh, but you know some of them are legitimate trade candidates. Um, but anyways, that's where I'm at. So I'm wondering if over the last week or so you found a guy that you originally weren't like that enamored with, that now you're like, okay, that I I would really like that to happen. Um, I was thinking about it. Um, a name that kind of jumped out to me was Nomar Mazzara. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's 23 years old. He's controllable for the uh, for the Rangers, but um, honestly, I thought he was a lot better of a hitter than he actually has been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's not a fantastic defender. Uh, he was worth one F4 uh, this year. It was actually his best year. Funny enough. Um, you know, his, his WRC plus has been no better than 96. Um, but for some reason, it, it always feels like he's such a good hitter, especially when we play against him. Uh, he had 101 RBI in 2017. Um, though, you know, of course, I don't put a lot of stock in RBI, but still that's kind of uh, an impressive number for, for someone that only had a WRC plus of 89. Um yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of like that idea. Uh, he seems to hit pretty well in Safeco. Um, you know, the the Mariners uh, are probably going to be in the market for uh, corner outfield. Um, you know, I I'm honestly starting to kind of get on on uh, the bandwagon of maybe Mitch Haniger becomes a full time center fielder because of how much they played him in center field towards the end of the season. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not too into it, but. Uh, that seems like maybe that's more of a possibility than we think. Um, so yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, Mazzara, Mazzara's also on the um, the arbitration list. He's set to make $3.7 million, um, which is whatever. Um, Jerks and Profar is also on that list. He could be a potential candidate, but he had a really good year, so I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, trying to think about it. Um, there isn't really a whole lot that jumps out to me. You know, I want to see more how these uh, how these playoffs go. Um, usually, a couple guys uh, will come out of nowhere in, in the playoffs and uh, end up, you know, boosting their value and getting traded. Um, yeah. uh, you know, we've we've seen that with um, you know, like Daniel Murphy going into uh, free agency after that insane postseason run with the Mets. Sure. Um, but you know, also. Uh, yeah, you know, like David Freeze has also, you know, kind of had that effect. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see about that. I kind of, I kind of want to wait that out. Uh, another, if we're just going off of the arbitration list, um, another name that kind of jumps out to me is that uh, the Pirates have uh, Corey Dickerson set to make eight point four million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pirates are kind of one of those teams that stay lower on the payroll spectrum. Um, not sure if they would want to pay Dickerson eight point four million, um, so maybe that's a possibility. I know you really wanted Dickerson when he got uh, what was it waived? Did he get waived by the uh, Rays? Yeah, DFA'd. Or yeah, you got DFA'd. So and I guess Jerry uh, yeah. Photo just had to have Ichiro. <sighs> we'll talk about that uh, at another time. Oh, that, that that will most definitely be a topic of conversation. I promise you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, go it's like there's like the usual suspects, the ones that like, you know, I thought uh, the Mariners would go after during the, the trade deadline period. Uh, Derek mm-hmm. Dietrich would be one. Sure. Um, Kirby Yates would be another. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know maybe uh, you know you you want a Michael Walker maybe Michael Walker. Yep, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm a fan of Michael Walker. Uh, there are two names that uh, that jumped out to me. Um, one of them when I first made the list, which was in mid September, and one of them I've just recently added to the list. Uh, the guy who's been on the list for a while is Max Kepler. Of the, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, of the Minnesota Twins. Um, you know, he was worth almost three wins by baseball reference war. Um, this is his first year of arbitration. There's not a whole lot of incentive for the Twins to trade him, except for the fact that he's been pretty disappointing, um, just in terms of his bat. His bat was really supposed to be the carrying skill for him. And, I mean, you look at it, in his career, he's a 233, 313, 417 hitter. Um, he's not trending in a particularly great direction. Um, it's not like, you know, he just had a great breakout 2018. Um, he's going to be 26 in February. You know, he's a good defender. He hits for some power. You know, he's about 20 home runs. Basically, it's it's similar to Mazzara, where his major league production is not matching what he was as a prospect. Yeah. Um, and you know, it just might be, he's going to start to make some money. We'll see if the, what the twins decide to do. You know, the twins are in an interesting spot because they could easily, 
blow things up. Or they can just kind of stay the course and maybe be fine. Like, the Twins are in a really interesting spot. They have a lot of money that they can spend now that Maurer is going to be off the books. So, uh, But, yeah, Kepler is just kind of a guy. Uh, he can play all three outfield spots. He's a left-handed bat. He's got some power. He has some uh, – he has a – he actually he takes a good amount of walks. Um, he just doesn't uh, – <laughs> he just doesn't – hit the ball all that hard at least he hasn't yet so kepler's like a lottery ticket um but i think he's might be one worth taking um, yeah so yeah that's that's one of the guys the guy who just recently popped up in my head um is a detroit tigers pitcher um i know a lot of people have been focused on uh on matt boyd which i think you and i are both in the camp of like eh like yeah like okay i mean that's fine but i was more into him when he was like really hot during the season but after the season i'm like eh. yeah he's just kind of a guy but anyways the the starting pitcher that i would actually i think i might prefer to matt boyd which is gonna sound crazy is daniel norris uh yeah he was a second round draft pick by the toronto blue jays he was part of the uh the David Price trade, and he just hasn't really gotten it going yet. Um, you know, you look at his numbers this year, he only started eight games. Uh, he had a, a 5.68 ERA. Uh, but, you know, again, the FIP shows 4.63. Um, the walks are still an issue, but he does miss bats. He's got good stuff. He's only 25. Like He's only, he's only uh, yeah, he's turns 26 in late April. Um, he's arbitration eligible for the first time this year. And I understand why there's a lot of like hesitation with him, but there's definitely upside in this play. And I feel like for the Mariners to break through into the playoffs, they need to hit on lottery tickets. Um, and Matthew Boyd, that type of pitcher is not exactly a lottery ticket. That's more of a, I, it's, I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's more of like a bond where you know you're going to make a certain amount of interest. And like you're like, yeah, it's safe, it's reasonable, it's fine. But I feel like the Mariners need to go out and buy some lottery tickets. And Daniel Norris, to me, is a guy that uh, <clears throat> might be available. Um, he's got good stuff. Uh, we'll have to see if his uh, – again, the question will be health with him. If he's healthy, I think he's going to be very good. If he's not, then, well, <laughs> you're not going to have fun with him. But his fastball used to sit 93. This year it was sat at 90. So, I mean, he wasn't healthy this year. So I think that's a guy that I would look at as a potential I, – I don't really know how to – like a potential buy low Yeah. with a lot of upside. And I don't think he'd be all that expensive. Um because the Tigers have a lot of young starting pitching. They're not going after it this year. They don't need him. And I think they could look at it as a chance to get a, a decent prospect or two for a guy that they're probably not interested in having long-term anyway. So Daniel Norris has gotten really interesting to me um, as a as a buy-low lottery ticket. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, I also really like the Kepler idea. I think Kepler has a really nice glove. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, 10.8 uh, UZR uh, last year in the outfield, uh, 8.5 yeah. out in right field. Um, decent arm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I always um, harken back to, to Jerry DePoto wanting to build um, the best defensive outfield in baseball. And uh, I think he's been really close a couple times, and I, I think he should uh, – build upon that, you know, having uh, a great defensive outfield goes a long way and um, especially making your pitchers look a lot better. Um, so, yeah, so I'm always down for that. And plus, you know, Kepler can run into one every now and then he got, he had 20 home runs uh, last year, uh, 224 average, but at least his OBP was above 300, um, which, you know, if you're going to be a low average um you know, solid power guy. Uh, you should at least be able to uh, work counts. And yeah. that was something that Ryan Healy was unable to do. Mike Zanino was unable to do. Um, so that's, if you're going to acquire that kind of guy, um, Kepler's more along the lines of someone that I would be interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah, then no. ask North. What's that? Yeah. I was going to say Kepler's also pretty great grades out as a pretty good base runner, not necessarily a uh, stolen base guy, but a guy who just understands how to run the bases. And if you watched any Mariners baseball over the last two years, you know why that's important. So yeah, just, just something to consider. Yeah. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, Daniel Norris. Um, yeah, he's a, you know, he has, you know, high K per night. Um, only pitched 44 innings this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- there's there's a lot of potential there. That's why they wanted him. That's why he was one of the biggest pieces in the price deal. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a solid uh, lottery ticket idea, um, like you said. But you know it. It all goes back to: uh, Do you truly believe that Norris is better than, um, you know, one of Leak or uh, LeBlanc? Um, because Felix is guaranteed a spot. Marco and 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 James Paxson are probably going to be in the rotation. Um. So yeah, so that's that's kind of what you have to determine when acquiring one of these guys. Sure, I would rather bet on upside knowing that I have LeBlanc in my back pocket. Yeah. Then just being like, well, he's not better than LeBlanc right now. So, I mean, why would we bother? You know what? It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like I have $50 and I'm going to, I'm going and I have to invest $30. You know, I have the 20 in my back pocket. I know what I'm, you know, I know what I'm, I have. So I'm going to maybe bet the money on like a riskier bond and if it doesn't pay off, I still have a nice bit of security in my back pocket. Like if that makes sense. Yeah. So. So yeah, that's what I would I would rather bet on Norris, but do I think the Mariners are going to look at it that way? No. Yeah, so, and that and that's exactly what I'm saying. So. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't know. Um, it, the 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 starting uh, rotation thing is just a really. Uh, awkward situation for them right now because of the Felix contract. Awesome. Uh, it's just really hard to, uh, to really uh, draw the line, right. Yeah. Of what, of what talent is actually realistic for them to go after. 
Because, you know, as much as we've joked about, like, oh, they'll probably trade for Dan Straley, I don't know if they'll actually realistically see that as a as a possibility because, you know, they're, they're high on LeBlanc. They gave him that extension. Of course, it's laden with, you know, all these outs for them. But, uh, and, you know, and then they got Leak, who's coming along r- pretty cheap, uh, you know, with the Cardinals paying, paying a good sum of that. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think they'll, they'll see it in the way that whoever they acquire has to be better than LeBlanc or Leak to them. Yeah. And again, obviously the danger there is assuming that Leak is going to repeat, um, or sorry, that uh, LeBlanc is going to repeat Yeah, and that Felix is going to get better and that Marco Gonzalez can at least repeat what he did last year, if not get better. I know my concern with the Mariners is that they're going to look at it and they're going to say, oh, you know, last year our pitching war, we finished like fifth in the uh, fifth in the American League, and our FIP was sixth in the American League. So pitching wasn't the problem. And while they're partially right, it's also about repeatability and yeah. how repeatable is the Mariners' pitching performance from last year. I would argue not very repeatable. I mean, you're talking about career years out of Edwin Diaz, Marco Gonzalez, James Paxton stayed relatively healthy. Like aside from the line drive that hit off his elbow, he missed two starts. I mean, so yeah. Yeah. I I just, I I think, I think Marco, um, I think Marco will improve this season. Um, You know, he, he was, you know, for most of the season, he was probably one of the best pitchers in the American league. Yeah. Take out August. He's right there. Statistically with anybody. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, having another year under his belt, you know, coming off of that Tommy John a few years ago, uh, I think that's only going to help him. Um, Yeah, I just, uh, I'm not too concerned about Marco. I I think uh, he overachieved a little bit this year. I didn't expect him to be as dominant as he was at some parts in the season. He's a three and a half win player. Yeah, wasn't you know wasn't there a time when he went like four games with only giving up one run or something like that? Yeah, he was. He had a great stretch. Um, you know, it just it really is a shame that August went as bad as it did, because if you take out those what three starts, you know he finishes with a mid three ERA. I mean, as it is right now, a four ERA and like a. A three point six eight FIP, or sorry, three point five nine X FIP. Yeah, I mean that is more than good enough to be the number four starter. And at times, and for most of the year, Marco Gonzalez looked like honestly he looked like a number two or a number three. Like he was that like here's his season ER like per month, five point oh two in March. You remember he had the really tough first start. Yeah, uh, and then May he was at two point three zero. June he was at four point oh two. Uh, July, he was at 1.78. Then August came around, he was at 10.35. And then in September, he was 1.78. I mean, the guy was basically ace-like for two months, really good for two months, and then really bad for one month. Yeah. And that's just, you know. And, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, maybe, you know, a couple of those uh, games where he – where he uh, got knocked out pretty early, he uh, 
he could have been a 200 uh, inning pitcher this year. Yeah, he finished at like 166. I think probably 185, 190 is the goal for next year. Yeah. And yeah, if he stays healthy, he'll be just fine. Um, and that's really good to get out of, you know, yeah. uh, who you probably consider going into the season as your number five. Yeah, I mean, Marco Gonzalez had a fantastic year. Yeah. Um, you know, it just he had a 17 game stretch there from April 24th to July 29th, uh, where he was opponents were hitting uh, 241 against him with a 284 on base. They only had a 651 OPS, and he had a and he Marco posted a, he posted a 2.72 ERA. Yeah, like that's yeah, that's over half a season. So I mean, yeah, I I think Marco will be good. But I also can't guarantee it. Like, yeah. Like, I feel very confident that James Paxson and Mike Leak are going to be what we think they are. Like, I have no trouble seeing that. Yeah. I think I think Marco will be that. But I can't – like, I wouldn't bet my house on it. You know what I mean? So – but we'll see. I, I, I think – I just – I don't want the Mariners to go into the – go into 2019 and be like, oh, we got Felix and we got LeBlanc as our four and five. No yeah. need to do anything else there. At least so. we can finally look at Felix as, uh, as a pitcher where pretty much there's nowhere to go but up. I don't know. He might surprise you. Yeah, I, could, uh, yeah. I just – I don't know. I, I feel like it's – well, I mean, God, he's – he was really one of the worst in pitchers in baseball this year. He probably was the worst. I had no confidence that he was going to pitch well in any game he started. I just, I mean. God. How many home runs did he give up? To finish I his? don't know. But he was literally worth, he was worse than worthless. Felix was. He cost Somehow he had a positive F4 still. So. Yeah, well, on baseball reference, he's at negative 1.3. Honest, honestly, the baseball reference feels more realistic to me. 27 um, home runs in 155 innings. I mean, yeah, yeah. The guy he had an ERA plus of 73. He's 27 percent worse than league average. Yeah, hit a 1.4 WHIP. But but hey, good news. The home run percentage did go down from 1.8 home runs per nine in 2017 to 1.6. So wow, improvement. Yeah. Yeah, and the walks only went up by point seven, and the strikeouts only went down by point nine. So I mean, like, yeah, it was. Yeah, he sucks. So. Yeah, so uh, not a whole lot of hope for Felix going into the season, but he's going to be a part of the rotation. Um, yeah. And that sucks, but it's only for one more year. Um, that is the good news, and you get twenty-seven million dollars for it at the end of the year. So that's pretty nice. Yep. Which is uh, part of the reason why I think maybe they see 2020 as the uh, as the actual uh, goal for the Mariners, not 2019. But we'll see. And there's a really good uh, starting pitching market for 2020. You got Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw. You know, obviously uh, uh, Chris Sale, um, Sonny Gray. You know, Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, Madison Bumgarner. So, you know, quite a few of those guys will likely never have any interest in going to Seattle. But, sure. hey, you never, you never know. know. You got money the money. Money talks. Yep. Money talks. 
So anyways, I think that's going to wrap up our Mariners coverage today. Like I said, not a whole lot to talk about. Um... Guys, this is your uh, co-host of the podcast, Colby Padnode. We bring you this interruption to let everybody know that the Mariners portion of this podcast has ended. The rest of the podcast, Ty and I speak about the Seattle Seahawks. If you're not a Seahawks fan or don't care about football or whatever the case, this is your warning to stop listening now. Uh, we promise not to make too big of a habit of this, but we are both Seahawks fans. And what happened on Sunday was something that we wanted to discuss for those of you who are. Um, so again, if you're not a Seahawks fan, please stop listening now. Um, and if you are, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks. Um, but it does not, however, wrap up our Seattle sports coverage because I have to address the pure moronic nature of Seahawks fans after losing to the Rams 33-31. to And I promise this won't be a regular thing. You guys are here for baseball. I get that. But I just I have to address this because it is quite literally one of the stupidest things I have ever seen on Twitter. And that's saying something. And that is this idea that Pete Carroll somehow lost the game for the Seahawks by taking a timeout on fourth down to try and give Russell Wilson a minute 20 instead of, you know, 50 seconds to win the game for him. And people are upset at him for taking that timeout. So I guess, Ty, what, what was your thought about that whole debacle, if that's the word you want to use it? Okay, the, the fact that... Uh, frustration with the timeout didn't even cross my mind at the time that yeah. it happened to tell you everything about it. I was just like, okay, cool. They called timeout. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. Pete has had a problem with clock management. Uh, yeah. That makes him an easy target for this. Um, but still, come on. Like, okay. The clock was going to run. They were going to waste all this time. Johnny Hecker's a really good punter. You're probably going to start within your own 10 unless he screws up somehow. Yep. Like, uh, yeah, plus you're going uh, into the wind at that point. So you're going to have to get, you know, fairly close for Janikowski to have a shot. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't going to happen in 50 seconds. I don't care who your quarterback is. You know, throw out Aaron Rodgers out there, and that's probably not going to happen with no timeouts. Um, I just, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, the Seahawks season, really, um, it's, God, it's really made me hate the Seahawks fan base. Because it's like, you know yeah. what, you should know what to expect this year. And you're still mad about things. It's like this team, if they get into the playoffs, it's nothing short of a miracle, really, um, with all that surrounded this team. Of course, you know, you got Russell Wilson. You're always going to be a good team. Uh, if you have a franchise quarterback, you'll always be in it. Uh, but the rest of the team, they're not good. Yeah. This, this defense on paper is abysmal. They have Bobby Wagner, you know, and they had Earl Thomas, and we won't get into that. But, you know, and they have a couple of nice young pieces, but those young pieces are still developing into their own. You know, Shaquille Griffin still isn't the quarterback that he probably will become. Uh, he's still learning a lot of things on the fly. I mean, Richard Sherman in 2012 wasn't 
you know, amazing. He was really good, but he wasn't, you know, the Richard Sherman that we knew in 2013 and 2014. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, if, if you're disappointed with losing to the Rams who right now look like they're going to stroll to the Super Bowl, um, by two points, are you serious? Like, I don't, I don't, like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, no moral victories. And people who tweet moral, you know, about moral victories or, you know, these moral victory tweets are stupid. It's, listen, yes, you can take some moral victory here. This this was a game you were supposed to get blown out in. I was actually legitimately serious when I tweeted that the Rams could put up 70 on this team. I was <laughs> not joking. That The Rams' offense is that good. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you saw it and you saw the tweets from people who were at the game, like, uh, you know, Hawk blogger and, uh, Evan Hill, you know, saying, you know, the, the Rams wide receivers were consistently wide open. Yeah. There, there was nothing the Seahawks can do. They haven't, the Rams have an amazing offensive scheme. You know, Cooper cup and Brandon Cooks were out for most of the game and, you know, Josh Reynolds and, and who was the other guy? Daniel Hodge. Is that his like, I don't even know. They didn't even skip a beat. You know, and that's all scheme. That is all scheme. Yeah. And it's and it's fantastic. And you know, that that's that's you know, where you kinda just have to admit defeat. You are a significantly less talented team than the Rams. Oh yeah. The fact that you made it a two point game is incredible and makes me feel a lot more confident in this team going forward. I I'm going to say the hottest of hot takes right now. Okay. I think the Seahawks are better than the Packers, the Lions, the Eagles. You know, like, I really think that they could beat all of those teams right now. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I've been on the, the, the Seahawks are going to compete for a playoff spot this year. That's been my position since day one. Um, it's going to remain my position mainly because I've seen the NFC and there's like one good team in the NFC right now Yeah, and it's the Rams. But, you know, going back to the timeout, first of all, there are tons of reasons to be critical of Pete Carroll and they usually almost are always about clock management. I totally get that. If yeah. you're mad because he didn't use the timeout before the two minute warning I'm right there with you, I think you should have, um, but he didn't. If you're mad about him using a timeout because you think it, quote, gave the Rams a chance to think about it, you're an idiot. There's just it, – it's so stupid. Every coach in the league takes a timeout there, every single one. And with 40 seconds on the play clock, the Rams could have run their offense back out onto the field. Exactly. Which was probably their plan because then that screws up your personnel and everything. Right. Like, yeah. It's a, it's a fire drill. And by the way, and this is the point, is that remember when they went out and they measured it a second time? That is when McVeigh decided that he was going to go for it. Not after Pete Carroll took a timeout. It was during the second measurement. You know how long it takes to get your offense on the, on the field to run a quarterback sneak? Like 10, maybe 15 seconds. They were all standing right there on the sideline. It would have been They could have gone out there, held punt for 20 seconds, and then... Oh, switch, fire drill, get on the field, and then they run the sne- they run the sneak and they get it. 
By the way, if you don't want to be in that situation, don't give up eight yards on second and nine. When you know they're running the ball, don't give up eight yards. Yeah. Or stop them on fourth and inches. And you stop them on fourth and inches, you win the game. You're already in field goal range. So this idea, and like you like you mentioned, the Rams are significantly better than you. Yeah. And it is a two-point game that you have a chance. You're one holding call away that was pretty iffy. I, I think maybe they got it right, but... I think they got it right. I, I, I'm not too pissed no. off about that. No, no, Plus, I'm not. I'm not mad about it, but I would say that that's a call that can really go either way. I think you see that on every single play in the NFL, and they just decided to throw the flag this time. And like I said, I think they got it right because I think that is holding, but I've seen a lot worse not get called than that. Yeah. So plus, I would say it was an iffy call for me. Yeah, plus let's be real. Okay, let's see how, all right, let's say the holding call doesn't get called and they kick a field goal. Dude, the Rams are coming down and they're – yeah, exactly. Picking a game-winning field goal. Yeah. So, let, I'm not too mad about that. You know, I if the Seahawks were going to win that game, it had to come down to the final drive, where literally Rams would have no chance to retaliate. Yeah, um, yeah so I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, I think, if anything, the biggest swing was uh, Shaquille Griffin's uh, pass interference um, on that fourth and two. In the red zone. Uh, that was probably the biggest swing of anything that happened in that game. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, because it would have been, uh, what, 31-24 still. Um, and, you know, the, with the way the Seahawks offense was rolling, they could have made it 34-24 or 38-24, and they, they probably win that game. I think that the Seahawks probably win the game if Shaquille Griffin doesn't um, get there too early on uh I think it was Josh Reynolds. Yeah. But uh, by the way, he absolutely did. I mean, that's. Yeah, that was that was that was not a pass call. Easy. That was clearly just pass interference. I knew it as soon as it happened. I was surprised the flag didn't come out even earlier than yeah. it did. But I guess uh, my whole point for this is that if you're going to be angry at Pete Carroll because you think he cost you the game, how about the fact that he gave you a lead? That coaching staff gave you a lead in that game in the fourth quarter when he was vastly outgunned personnel-wise. Yeah. Like, you blame Pete Carroll all you want. Fine, give him credit. Because on paper, that game should not have been close. And by the way, you probably honestly should have won that game. Yeah. And this isn't talking – what about the interception that bounces off Tedrick's hands? That goes for yeah. a touchdown. What, yeah. about the, what about the three times the Rams put the ball on the ground, but it bounced right back up to him? You know, we're literally talking about one of those three or four plays going your way, and you win the game. And you're going to focus all your rage on a timeout that every single coach in the league takes. You're an idiot. There's just there's no way you take that timeout. And you know what? McVay was going for it anyways. And if you stop him, you win. You probably win. If you don't, you lose. And there's just nothing that Pete Carroll can do to stop that. Again. That game was lost on second down when he gave up eight yards on second and nine, because you gave them the sh- you gave them the shot to go for it on fourth down. Because if it's fourth and three, they don't go for it. But it was fourth and inches because you gave up eight in a situation where everybody in the world knew that Todd Gurley was getting the ball, and you gave it up. You made it easy for them to go for it. That's where you lost the game, not because Pete Carroll used a timeout at an appropriate time. 
I just I don't see any I've yet to see any kind of argument that makes any sense for why Pete Carroll should have held on to that timeout. Yeah. What, what now, are you saving it for? Yeah. So now I I just want to talk about one more thing because you brought him up, Tedrick. Who? Uh, um, I honestly, he wasn't a dumpster fire. No. And I was okay with that. He, you know, he had the big play on that, on that third and one. That was pretty, pretty impressive to, to stand Gurley up there at the goal line. Um, or not at the goal line, but at the, you know, line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, you know, I saw all these tweets about how he was terrible and, uh, I didn't see that, you know, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not some mastermind of football, but, you know, I, I, I get it. And I've seen really good safety play over the last, you know, near decade. Um, I think he was just fine. And that's honestly what we needed because I was really scared. I thought Earl going out and Trey Flowers, who can't cover a post route to save his life, uh, <laughs> I thought Brandon Cooks was going to have a 200-yard day. Um, And uh, that didn't happen. And, you know, Brandon Cooks, of course, got injured. But even when he was – he almost played uh, a whole half, and he only had one catch. And the one catch he he had was the one where he got hurt. And funny enough, Pedrick Thompson was the one that hit him. And it was kind of a dirty hit, if we're being real. Uh, But we'll see. (laughs) I don't know. Cooks kind of lowered hit. That's the problem with those hits, though, is that Cooks lowered his helmet. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, so the defender just supposed to take a helmet to the sternum, or is he supposed to try to get lower? Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm shocked it wasn't flagged. Um, but in terms of dirty, eh, I, I think it was fine. But yeah, maybe, maybe maybe not. I'm just... Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, was abs- I was waiting for the flag. I was like, well... Yeah. Sucks. Where's the flag? But oh, by the way, that was another one where he fumbled the ball and you recovered, but there was holding on the other side of the field. Yeah. So there's another play. It was holding on Justin Coleman, I believe. And by yeah. the way, Justin Coleman had a really bad game. Yeah, you know, it's probably the first time in like a year though. So yeah, Coleman's been great. So yeah, but he yeah. did not play well. Neither did Shaquille. Um, honestly, Trey Flowers played really well. Um, I'm impressed with Trey Flowers. He's really yeah. good. Actually, like the guy the guy hasn't played corner since what high school? Yeah, and he's out there and he he's holding his own. You know, he's playing pretty well. So yeah, I just, that's why overall, man, I walk away from this. I'm so impressed. And I here's the, in baseball, I am like, I want the most advanced metrics I can get. Give me the smartest people in the world. I don't care if they know baseball. Put them into this into your control room and let them crunch numbers. I want the cutting edge of training. I want all of it. In football, I am still very much a I want to pound the rock for four quarters until they tap out and quit. I want them to go home and cry to their mothers because we whooped their ass physically for four quarters. And you know what? They did. The Seahawks punched the Rams in the mouth repeatedly for four quarters. And that's something they've really never been able to do against the Rams and Russell Wilson's. Yeah, not even in 2013 and 2014 where they were going to the Super Bowl. No. This, This week they took Aaron Donald and they whooped his ass. Donald won, like he won some matchups, don't get me wrong, so did Sue. But for me, the poster of what the Seahawks should be going forward is that run play on the go- near the goal line where DJ Pluger planted Ndamukong Sue on his ass as Mike Davis runs by. I want that type of football. 
that is what I want. And by the way, I, I'm perfectly fine watching, you know, Tom Brady dink and dunk his way down the field. Like, that's fine. I'm not sitting here like, I don't want to sound like the old man, like, ah, you got to run the football, blah, blah, blah. But that is the type of football I like to watch is that physical pounding, run the ball, hit the wide receivers, make them not want to go over the middle on you, um, which would have worked in this game, except when they went over the middle, nobody was within 10 yards of them. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I just for me plus especially when you have a really good running back core. I mean, Mike Davis has really become a, a, a legitimate threat over the last couple of weeks. And um, you know, on a, can, can I be honest here? I sure. think people I think people are too hard on Rashad Penny. Yeah, um, so do I. Uh, I I don't get why people are just saying that he's a bust. The guy didn't really play a lot in. Um, in uh, uh, the preseason, you know, because of the the hand or the wrist or whatever it was. And, uh, but, you know, I just remember the reaction to his performance against the Colts. I mean, he looked fine against the Colts. I I don't know if everyone was expecting Penny to be better than Saquon Barkley or be Barkley level or something, because Rashad Penny looks just as good as Sony Michelle to me. Yeah, I think... Or Nick Chubb. Here's the deal. Like, the analytical side of my brain didn't like that pick because it's a run Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, but here's the deal is that I, I, not as much as I do baseball, but in football I still watch, uh, you know, highlight tapes and things like that of draft prospects because it's fun for me, right? I loved Rashad Penny. I loved his tape. I really liked him. So I loved the player. I hated where they took him. But, yeah. oh, by the way, he looked great in the Cardinals game last week. But you're going to stop giving the ball to Mike Davis and Chris Carson, who both looked like all pros against the Rams. I mean, they were incredible. So, yeah, I'm not going to – like I said, would I rather have a pass rusher that they passed on, like Harold Rant- Harold Landry? Yes. Yeah. But I saw, like, would you trade Rashad Penny for a kicker? No. What are yeah, you, would you no. trade him for Justin Tucker straight up? I saw that. Yeah, no. No, you wouldn't. Rashad Penny is going to be a good player in this league. It just, it's going to take time and whatever. It's fine because, you know what? Trey Flowers is playing great. Will Disley was playing great. Michael Dixon has been fine. Um, he did shank that one this game. But other than that, he was fine. Uh, you know, that draft class was really good this year. And Rashad Penny is going to be a good pro. Uh, I just, like I said, I don't get like, I also don't get good. You'll probably need, you'll probably need Penny going forward because, uh, is a Mike Davis on a one-year deal? And if he keeps on playing like this, he's not coming back. No. And yeah, Chris Carson, by the way, has never stayed healthy, like ever at any point in his career. So Rashad Penny is going to be a valuable player. He's a good player. I think again, I, I just, I don't, I also, I don't get the people who are like, oh, he's terrible, but I also don't get the people who are like. You drafted him in the first round. You have to give him the ball. It's like, have no. you seen Chris Carson play? <laughs> because no, you don't. Uh, Chris Carson might be one of the best running backs talent wise in the NFL. Like, and like, if you want to use that as a reason to not ever draft a running back in the first round, fine. I'm right there with you. But I just, I don't get like, I don't get trying to ditch out on Rashad Penny this early. And I also don't get the idea that, Oh my! You have to use him, or it's a bad pick. It's like who cares? And and let's and, you know, and let's be honest. Uh, the um, the offensive line 
was a pretty bad run blocking group for the first couple of weeks of the season, um, just per PFF grades. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, Penny not having a lot of a lot of success against the Broncos and uh, the Bears shouldn't entirely be on him. You know, Chris Carson, like you said, is probably one of the best running back talents in the league. So he's going to transcend that. But, you know, Penny, Penny's still figuring things out. I don't think he's amazing. I'm not trying to defend him, really. I'm just saying that I don't get this consistent hate for him. Yeah. And, and, and from people that... I wholeheartedly disagree with uh, their... Um, with the, how they're they're treating this penny situation, I really I really think it's just overblown. Um, I think he, yeah, like you said, he'll be a good player. He'll probably contribute at some point this season. Um, you know, because like you said, Carson hasn't been able to stay healthy. You know, it's possible Carson will miss another game or two at some point this season. Maybe Mike Davis misses a game or something. You know, um, also another player that you know uh, is coming back is JD McKissick. Uh, yep. Pretty soon, uh, yeah, he'll probably take Procise's job. Yeah. Oh God. But, yeah. But so, yeah, yeah, we already spent uh, wow more time than I wanted on this Seahawks thing. Um, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And hey, if you guys want us to start a Seahawks podcast, we're more than willing to do that because uh, <laughs> this is a fun team to cover. Um, I think it'll end up being a lot like the Mariners, where they're a lot of fun for most of the year, but. At the end of the day, they just don't quite have the talent that you need to uh, make something happen. So, uh, I, yeah. If I can Go leave ahead. with one closing thought, I likened sure. them to uh, to the Saints last year. Um, a lot of young guys that have a lot of potential on defense, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a really good quarterback with uh, some uh, potential offensively. Um, you know, uh, you got good young running back core. Yeah, I, I think they're kind of Saints-ish, you know, from last year. So maybe they get into the playoffs and they make some noise. You know, maybe they get hot here towards uh, the second half of the season, win some games that they probably shouldn't um, on paper. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think they're a bad team. Um, I just, you know, especially the NFC is so bad. You know, uh, fan sided uh, has their, you know, their their uh, power rankings. They have. The Chicago Bears is third, and honestly, I think with the Bears' uh, defense, that's kind of accurate. Uh, just and that's that's that should tell you enough about the competition in the NFC. It's just it's not good. Yeah, it's wide open. So, anyways, that'll do it for us here at uh, the Soto Mojo Podcast. Make sure you guys check out the website. We have tons of new content going up about the off season. Um, there will be a link in the description to Ty's uh, five under. Under how did you word it, Ty? Undervalued. Under underrated. the radar. Free agent under targets. Radar. Yeah, free agent targets. That'll be in the that'll be in the description. So, uh, like I said, with all of us here, uh, we're almost there, guys. About another month, and we will actually have like real free agents on the market and real trade candidates and all that fun stuff. So, uh, from all of us here at SotoMojo.com, uh, I just want to say, you know. Go Seahawks, go Mariners, and we're almost there, guys. So uh, I'll see you in another life.